Hello everyone, this is Jacob Pobio, the producer of The Apex. In this episode, Jan and RJ interview Rockwell Felder. Rock Felder is a founding member and current CFO of Squadcast, a platform dedicated to allowing podcasters to record professional-grade audio remotely along with a slew of other features that make taking audio to the next level as simple as pressing a button. Jan and RJ explore Rock's journey across multiple schools as a kid, how he fell into entrepreneurship, and the ways that his life had prepared him to be an out-of-the-box style thinker. They also discuss Squadcast's new partnership with Dolby Digital that is going to even bring more quality to the Squadcast platform. The new features are going to be included in version 3. If you want to learn more about how Squadcast can benefit you, shoot an email to info at chasetheapex.com and we can answer any questions you have. If you want to support us, there are three ways to do so. One is to donate to our cause at www.patreon.com backslash the Apex Podcast. Second, visit our merch line that is proudly partnered with Envision Clothing Company at envisionclothingcompany.com. The final one is completely free. All we ask is if you learn something from this episode or know someone that needs to hear our message, share it with them. Please subscribe and hope this pushes you toward your apex. Welcome, Apex Chasers, to another episode of the Apex Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jan Almasy, and seated across the county from me because of coronavirus quarantine is my co-host and partner in crime, Mr. RJ Holiday. What's up, everybody? I hope everybody's... Uh doing well, staying sane, staying in shape, you know, uh, practicing proper six feet distancing and all, all that washing your hands. Like I've told you so many times before. Yeah. If, if people start to get too close to me, when I go shopping, I just cough and they scatter. <laughs> run away, <laughs> run away like cockroaches. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. I'm not comparing people to cockroaches. Jesus. Well, they do scatter. <laughs> Dude. But, um, go ahead. But no, I was just, uh, Hopefully this is all coming to an end and people, uh, people are excited. I mean, my, 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 uh, feelers on the ground are telling me that, uh, the gym's going to open back up on, uh, the fifth and whatnot. And I, God, I hope that's true. (laughs) Your feelers on the ground. Are you turning yourself into a cockroach? No, the, uh, the people that, that work at powerhouse and some other places around Canton, it looks like it's really going to, it's really going to happen. It's finally going to happen. I'm going to be allowed back in the gym, oh, which, you know, which, which would be super exciting. And I just, I hope everything's handled appropriately. And I think I, I hope that people handle it responsibly just so that this doesn't all double back on our asses. And then we're locked in our homes again for another six months. Right, so right. even if, even if places open back up and they're only letting 10 people in at a time, I hope everybody, you know, respects that in their fellow man and woman and goes about it appropriately. If uh, they release the beasts here at the beginning of next, next month. I agree, dude. And so if you're listening to this, I'm curious, shoot us a, shoot us a message or um, leave a comment on wherever this is posted and tell us what you've been doing outside of like, I know a lot of people, their therapy is the gym or their therapy is being able to go out and interact with people. I'm curious what you had to pivot to. And what you've been able to find like brings you peace. Knitting. Um, a lot of cross stitching <laughs> going on. <laughs> Dude, I was actually really tempted to go get a pair of knitting needles and try to learn how to Honestly, oh, God, in high on, school. Oh, okay, go ahead. No, in high school we had like after school curriculum classes where I learned how to do like a web design and whatnot. I took a cross stitching class in like mid eighth grade, middle school or whatever. And 
I enjoyed it a lot. It was very therapeutic to take all that time and hit all the pinholes and create something. So, well, good. Yeah, don't speaking, knock it if you haven't tried it. <laughs> hey, I've, I've I've knitted in the past, but speaking of therapeutic, there's one thing that I find extremely therapeutic, and it is an amazing piece of software. So I am super excited today. You know, RJ, we actually have a guest with us, isn't that I know. Crazy? Yeah, it, it took us a while somebody, to double back. <laughs> we convinced somebody to talk to us. Isn't that awesome? So we have an amazing piece of software that we're actually recording this on right now. It's called Squadcast. All right. So if you guys are podcasters or anybody really involved in the audio industry, we actually um, are going to be using Squadcast to help our corporate uh, customers record their meetings. So there's a really good, you know, location there as well if you're in the business world. But we are privileged to actually have the CFO with us here today, Mr. Rock Felder. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Big fan of, you know, what the mission of the podcast is. So uh, really grateful for the opportunity to be a guest on your show. So thank you. Absolutely, brother. We're glad to have you. Thank you. So, Brock, why don't you go ahead and, you know, we'll, we always just kind of start with where, where you're from and you can kind of start wherever you like. Yeah. Yeah. So born, born in Fresno, California. So a lot of people, it's a pretty agriculture town in California, probably most famous for the Fresno State Bulldogs college team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, born there. Um, but generally my home is Sacramento, California, which is the capital. Um, so that's where I was pretty much, you know, consider my home. Uh, I live in Oakland now, but, uh, yeah, most of my upbringing and all my uh, best memories come from Sacramento. What, well, if you had to pick like one of your first memories or one of your favorite memories from, from your childhood, what would it be? Man, it's hard not to include something with sports. I had a good time with sports. I, and I think that's what I like about, uh, entrepreneurship and, and starting and building a company is, is that team aspect and, you know, just, uh, everyone having their role in their position and, you know, everyone having to play their part to accomplish this greater goal that, you know, none of us could have uh, accomplished by ourselves. So it's, it's definitely something in the, in the football range. And, and, you know, that was always a connection for, for me and my dad and, and, you know, um, also my friends. So probably, probably playing football. I was playing probably too young. I don't know if I would have my son be playing that young. Uh, Fresno is like a very intense football, uh, town. Um, kind of, we used to, my dad used to say it's similar to probably what it's like in Texas. I don't know. I'm sure the Texans would probably, uh, debate me on that, but it was a big deal. And so I was playing, you know, like at, in fifth grade, like fourth grade, maybe probably too young, but, uh, still had good memories. I'll assume that it's like Ohio state here in Ohio. The people go, people go nutty down there. (laughs) Yeah. 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 My sister lives in Columbus now. And, uh, oh, so she yeah, knows it's, all it's, about it then. It's like religion, right? Yep. 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 Yeah, yeah. It is like, it's, it's, you know, religion is like, you know, a little bit of sane humans kind of gathering and sitting that's, in feuds. That's it's actually just, true. It's more like a cult. I mean, it's like, <laughs> the cult of, of, oh, <laughs> it is, it's next level. I, I could literally go anywhere in the state. I could be <clears> in a random Walmart. And if I go, oh, I'm going to get at least five. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, um, That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've traveled around the country world in the military and stuff like that. And there's at least one or two Ohioans that are willing to just scream at the top of their lungs. Anytime they hear that phrase, it's like a twitch that we have. We can't not respond. You're a proud people. That's for sure. We mm-hmm. are for sure. So you, where did you end up going to high school? Did you go to high school in Sacramento? 
Yes, I did. So um, I actually went to Christian Brothers High School, which is a private Catholic school. And I, it's my first time ever going to private school. I've gone through public school my, my whole life. Um, but growing up in the, the public school system that I did in, in uh, Fresno, it was like a really good school district, district. And I was very fortunate. And then when we moved to Sacramento, it was like completely the opposite. It was, um, you know, not I was like considered like the rich kid and I didn't even know that. I didn't know I was rich, but it's just cause I was, you know, sur- like surrounded by people that unfortunately were less fortunate than me. So, right. you know, in, in, in a lot of ways I was rich. I had a dad, my dad had a job, my mom, uh, she had a job as well. So like, you know, just stuff like that. I was already, you know, ahead of the, the, uh, you know, the rest of the group, but it was, it was good for me to see that, um, and be exposed to that and just, mm-hmm. you know, be, those were my friends too. Like it didn't matter to me. Um, but I did learn that, you know, I was, certainly fortunate. Um, but the unfortunate thing was, uh, the schools weren't that good and the, and it was just like a rougher crowd. So like when I first came to Sacramento, it was like completely eye opening to me because, you know, I was just this kid that was into football and video games and skateboarding. And like, I come here and these kids are into, in Sacramento, they're into gangs, drugs, already having sex, like all this stuff where I was like, wow, I didn't realize, I I thought I had a few more grades to go before I started, you know, thinking about that stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I am glad that I was exposed to that stuff, even though I was probably, uh, too young and it was a, a bit of culture shock, but, uh, you know, it also honestly prepared me for it to happen again, where I went to Christian brothers, which was a, again, a private school. Totally. I was now one of the less fortunate kids. I wasn't, you know, as wealthy as some of these kids and I wasn't in uh, the Catholic school system or private school system my entire life. So I was, I felt even more like an outsider there because these kids, they weren't necessarily all friends, but they had known each other since kindergarten, mm-hmm. maybe younger. And there's just something about those kind of relationships that, you know, when you're coming in there as a freshman or sophomore, I think I was actually a sophomore when I went to Christian brothers. Um, that was tough, man. I was, I felt like I was just having to start over again. I knew nobody, um, and just having to, so, I mean, but it, but I have been prepared from moving from Fresno to Sacramento and then having to do it again of like what it's like to, uh, feel like an outsider and then just, you know, get in where you fit in, so to speak. Uh, So yeah, that's where I went to school. And actually I'm really happy. My parents, uh, sent me to the private school. I I kicked and screamed. I did not want to do that. I did not want to have to, uh, leave the friends that I had spent the last two or three years building relationships with in Sacramento. Mm. But, um, I'm super grateful that they did send me to Christian brothers because one of the best things about that school, other than that, like I didn't have to worry about getting into fights or, you know, there was actually like teachers that were, um, you know, really good teachers was they hammered in my head that like, you have to go to college. And I don't think having to go to the college is the answer for everybody, but it's, I don't think I would have went to college if I didn't have them kind of just putting it in my head. Like it's not an option. It's either you do that or you go to military or something like that. Like you you can't just do nothing. Um, And I don't think that's necessarily the right answer for everybody. It's not a one size fit all. College is not one size fits all in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but it's something that I needed. And I, again, I don't think I would have done it had I not had that influence from Christian brothers. Cause unfortunately, you know, as much as my parents uh, gave me a lot, they, they didn't go to college. So that's just a world that they didn't understand. Um, You know, in in many ways they were uh, successful without it. So I think they thought maybe, you know, they didn't understand maybe the importance of it other than just wanting that for their son, which is, you know, awesome. But, you know, I don't know if I would have gotten pushed, uh, by them alone, like having that, that Christian brothers resource, like it changed my life. And I'm grateful because, um, you know, when, 
you know, that was like the, my parents' investment. They didn't invest in real estate or the stock market or whatever. They invested in, uh, you know, our education. And, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I am. Um, so I'm, I just wrote down a couple of things here just about that entire monologue. First off, I, I really vibe with the um, feeling like an outsider. So I was actually mm-hmm. homeschooled until ninth grade. Oh, wow. I can only imagine, man. So, and then when I went to my local high school, public high school, they had just gone open enrollment. So all of the kids that were getting kicked out of the inner city schools were coming down to our high school. Mm-hmm. And it was like hillbillies versus inner city kids. And it just exploded, <laughs> right? We made the front page of the news a couple of times. I remember we had Canton South Fight Club and I'm breaking the rule because I'm talking about it. Uh oh! <laughs> kids like bare knuckle boxing under the bleachers after school just to see who was tougher. Um, yeah, and I was the awkward, you know, five foot four, two hundred and forty pound homeschool kid with hair to his shoulders that wore skinnies. So, very uh, interesting time period in my life. But like you said, I, I always kind of I struggled with it for a long time because I was like, why did I go through that? Why did I have mm. to go through that? Because I'm Catholic, you know, so. The, the religion thing is for me is, you know, if, if God controls things, why did he put me through this? Right. And I constantly look back at it and I'm like, it's so that I could relate to other people, you know, and, and when I, I, I have zero judgment for other people, I'm, I accept people for where they're at because I've been there or I've been through it. So it's, I know that what it feels like to be in that abyss and feel like, Oh, like I'm just kind of this little speck on the earth. And if I were to disappear, it wouldn't really matter kind of thing. Um, and then the blue collar side of the house with trying to go to college, pretty much everybody in my family is blue collar. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. My dad worked his way up from being, he actually went to school. I think his respiratory therapy license is like number 36 or something crazy. Like, wow. One of the OGs. Way in up respiratory there. therapy. Um, and so he worked his way up to being a, the CEO of his company. Right. And this is, this is kind of where I'm going with this is that entrepreneurs, every single one of us that I've talked to have gone through some type of drastic change like that in childhood or experienced some type of exposure or had to move multiple times or like got bullied as a kid, because I feel like entrepreneurship is a combination of natural and learned ability. Right. So Mm -hmm. you have to have the natural personality type to do it. And then you're also kind of formed over those early childhood years going into college and everything else. And I really think that there I'm seeing this trend in the entrepreneurs that I talk to that it's like I was the outsider. I was bullied. I've constantly like we've lived on the outside of the box ever since as far back as we can remember. And now we're in the business world and normal business people are looking at us like, what the hell are you doing? You know, this is odd it doesn't fit inside of the inside of our box and we're comfortable mm-hmm. here because we've been outside the box our entire lives i'm kind of curious that's such a on that dude i mean i i haven't thought of it like that because it's definitely not something i've heard of much but uh i i i'm i'm really interested in in thinking about that more because i i feel like you're on to something um because i think you know there's a certain kind of confidence that that helped me uh, work on was that, okay, I, I can, it's going to be fine. Like if I'm just in the room and I don't know anybody and I'm not talking to anybody, if I just put myself out there, it's going to be okay. If I just breathe, like no one's worried about this as much as I am. (laughs) So just get out of your own head and, 
you know, and uh, embrace the awkwardness. And, you know, it, it happens all the time now, um, maybe less so, but definitely felt like, um, you know, putting myself out there in the podcast community with this business that we're doing with Squadcast. I did feel like I was an outsider, even though I was a big fan of podcasting as a listener and had already kind of experienced the the magic or beauty of podcasting. Like I'd never been be, been behind the mic. So going to all these networking events and, and meetups and stuff like that, like that experience kind of came back to me. But because I had, um, you know, previous experience going to different schools and, and, you know, schools that were, uh, very different from the type of, uh, background or experience I had had up until that point. Um, you know, it kind of gave me the courage and confidence to know that like, yes, this is not, uh, comfortable and I do feel awkward and I, I, I do have, you know, my, uh, you know, getting in my head a little bit too much, but like, it's, it's all good. Just it'll, it'll pass. And now, um, you know, that, that we're going to these events, you know, multiple years in a row, it's starting to become like, there we're just seeing friends now or people want to see us and it's just mm-hmm. like you know holy cow but um so it, it's encouraging and and so i i'm i'm glad now that that happened to me i'm glad that i had to be moved from fresno to sacramento and it was a you know suburban environment to a very inner city environment and then from i did skip a skip one so my freshman year i went to a charter school which was very like performing in fine arts. And so like there I got exposed to people that were so much more creative and actually like hated sports. And here I was this jock. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of the guys were, um, uh, well, actually anybody, they were, uh, more open with their sexuality. So there was a lot more homosexuals and bisexuals there. And I was, you know, a freshman thinking, wow, I didn't know people my age were thinking about that what stuff. And then I go to, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, uh, because I really didn't fit in there, uh, very much. And I wanted to get back into sports. That's when my parents put me in Christian brothers. But, uh, all that time I felt like I was, uh, the awkward one, or I felt out like the outsider and then just kind of figured it out that, you know, I can relate to these people and that they're, they're all these people are good. And, um, you know, it's just helped me. I'm glad it helped me out because it was certainly difficult. And Christian brothers was probably the most difficult time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I felt the most, uh, uh, like an outsider. I remember just like hating lunch, um, because that was the time where it got the most real that I didn't know anybody here. And I remember just going to the bathroom just to wait it out because I was like, this is just too much. (laughs) Um, but fortunately I got over it and I think, I think you're right, Jan, like it's helped me, uh, now more than ever. Sorry, (laughs) You're right. It's Jan. (laughs) Oh, Oh man, I like. Let's edit that out, Jan. That's, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> oh no, no, that's it, the beautiful organicness is there. Let's see here. So, okay, I'm gonna hit one last point, and then we're gonna we're gonna move on into um, squadcast and stuff. But I, this is this is one of those times that I'm gonna lead us down a rabbit hole because I think it's very interesting. So, well, I had I I I wanted to interject and say too that I've always lived in the same place. I never, my family never jumped around and anything like that. I have always been an extremely friendly person. I have Mm. just always gotten along with people. Um, And I have reached the same conclusion that both you did, that those types of interactions over the year get you, get you to a place where I wouldn't say that you're fearless, but you can walk into a room and make friends with anybody and conversate with them in a way that 
you've known them your entire life or whatever. My, mm. the, the way that I came about it, it was just always being me and not afraid of being me. And either you're going to like me for who I am or you're not. And that's fine. I can't make you like me. And the more that I try to make you like me, the worse it's going to end up for me. So yeah. I am a 270 pound bodybuilder that builds his own computers went out of high school thinking that he was going to be a computer programmer that would spend all this time playing video games and tinkering and collecting Funko Pops and going to Comic-Con, but I look like I just ripped phone books in half for a living. (laughs) And it was like that in high school as well. I didn't look the way that I do now, but I was a three-sport athlete in high school. I hung out with a wrestling team who I didn't hang out with during football season, who I didn't hang out with during baseball season. But then I also had my core group of friends that I had grown up with from middle school into high school. And we would go over and cram six desktops into the same room until it was 100 degrees in there playing League of Legends the first few years that it came out. And then being learning how the clicky groups of all my sports and then my personal friends, I became pretty much a jack of all trades when it came to personalities and what makes people tick and how they interact with people. And I was like, you know, you get to that point where you're like, I can literally talk to anybody. I've been around everybody. I've been around boys. I've been around girls. I've been around nerds. I've been around jocks. I've been around adults. I've been around small children. You can literally just talk to any of them if you're presenting yourself and coming through to them as genuine. And if, if somebody has a problem with them, then that's really not on you. If you are truly being, being genuine and you'll build more organic relationships like that. So not as obviously not as dramatic as you guys going, like I can only imagine that is two massive culture shocks to you pretty close together going to Sacramento because I don't know much about Sacramento, but if I'm going off of gang wars on History Channel, doesn't look like a great place to be. <laughs> and then going from yes. that, so yeah, then going from that to then going to uh, a, a religious school and finishing out your high school there, that's like the the one movie with Pierce Brosnan is 007. Hot room, cold room, hot room, cold room. It just desensitizes you to a a, a certain extent because you're like, these are two separate realities that both co- coexist, and I've seen both of them. And what is real at this point? Like, what 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 is a norm? What is a norm for this person? Isn't the norm for me? Oh, mm. so that I I didn't get to the same point you guys are as dramatic. I did it from more of a observational standpoint of my own from, from a distance and the people that I chose to surround myself as I was growing up through high school and college and my friend group now and whatnot, but it all boils down to the same thing. Those you can, you can get to that point, the way that you interact with people regardless. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And, and, you know, I, I guess just, I'm just grateful for, for my background and my experience, but I think, you know, having, I, I do, I am kind of envious of someone like you who's had, you know, these relationships their entire life. I think there's something really beautiful and special mm-hmm. about that. So, uh, yeah, no, definitely, you know, just grateful for, for what I have, but, uh, certainly, you know, can see how, uh, your experiences has helped develop you into who you are. And that's pretty, that's a pretty interesting story, man. I could see how that might throw people off the, you oh. know, your sound like a dynamic dude. Oh, very, very much so. I've, I've contemplated heavily 
on doing like a secret podcast with Jan where he just starts at the beginning of my life and just just so that I have recordings of everything that I I I could tell you stories now that would just blow blow the top of your head off and you'd be like how does he go from in one year be going from this to this and then that? And then I was like, for my own personal sake, if I ever get dementia, I would love to have that down oh <laughs> in God. audio. Now, so, now this but, final piece that I want to hit on before we, before we move into this next piece is I'm curious. There's a lot of people that think that I'm an extrovert, mm. right? Because I'm constantly talking to people, I'm constantly, you know, live streaming, podcasting, networking, doing all this other stuff. But I always have to schedule at the end of my day, one hour, and it's almost like becoming this joke because uh, not a joke, but it's something endearing that the fans know about me. It's I'll post pictures of I don't have a fireplace in my apartment, so I bring up a digital fireplace on Netflix. I have it crackling in the background, and then most like I collect bourbon, so I pour a double shot of whiskey. And my read right now is some meditations by Marcus Aurelius, right? It's a great book. And I have to distance myself. I mean, even RJ and Jake know my two, the two co-founders, they know that I get to this point where I get this like twitch in my eye and I'm like, I cannot handle any more human interaction. I need to go sit in my recliner and read this book and not talk to anybody. I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> if you get to that point where you just, you know, are people think you're truly an extrovert, but in reality, you're an introvert that can turn the extroversion on when he needs to. Yeah, I, I would, I would say that's a, a fair way to sum it up. I mean, I, the best version of myself when I'm in, in a great mood, yeah, I can be pretty extroverted and, and I like that version of myself, but, uh, I'm not always that way. And, and, uh, yeah, I think turning it on is, is a good way to put it. And I think I'd really developed that skill set uh, while I was in college and high school, uh, as a food server, you know, like waiting tables and stuff, like having to come up to a table and kind of, you know, quickly build a connection. Uh, that's the way I, I looked at it. So it was always like a performance to me. Um, but, you know, after doing that for, you know, four to eight hours in a day, I would have to go home and do something very similar to what, what you're doing now. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's something that I've learned to, to turn on and off. And, you know, I definitely, um, always want to put the best version of myself forward when I'm interacting with customers or doing, uh, you know, content production like this or videos and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it, 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 it can be exhausting. And I think that's one of the things I'm trying to learn how to manage as an entrepreneur. There's this, um, podcast. One of my favorite podcasts right now is called Zen Founder uh, by Sherry Walling. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things she talks about is that like entrepreneurs are, are, are putting their best energy towards their, their companies or their business or their, their employees so that, you know, by the time you're done, your, your spouse or your family or, or whoever, they're not getting the best version of yourself. And that's uh, definitely something that, that I need to work on. Cause I, I have that exact same thing, man, where I'm just exhausted, where I don't want to talk to anybody or I just need to be in my own head or, or, or not just, you know? Um, so it's tough. And I, I feel like most people, um, feel like that though. I feel like most people feel like they are introverts and then have these moments of, of extroversion. I right. don't think it's, you know, as black and white as, as, uh, at least it, it seemed like it was, uh, when I was growing up. Right. Right. And I, I mean, speaking and then being able to kind of transition that you know introversion into extroversion and stuff like that it takes a lot of extroversion to even take the leap to start a company absolutely right? so so we're obviously you know for the 
those of you that are listening, we're, we're talking right now to Rockwell Felder from Squadcast. He's a CFO, and, and Squadcast was founded in 2017 by about five people, right? So why don't we talk about how like you got involved with Squadcast early on, what that looks like, and then we can give a little bit of a, um, a synopsis of those, those first five uh, core groups that founded the company. Absolutely. So, so just to, you know, quickly, I did, I did go to college. I went to, to Sacramento state and studied, uh, fine, I got degrees in finance and accounting. And what I did, the reason why I did, uh, accounting specifically was, uh, I was going to school during the great recession. So I was looking at jobs that, uh, were, you know, more or less recession proof and had like, were always hiring or had, a a high hiring rate and, uh, had a good starting salary when, when they started. Cause I, I needed to pay off, you know, these college loans and just, I was living on my own and stuff. So I needed something to, to support myself, uh, because the, uh, you know, waiting tables was, uh, pretty tough to make a living and, and off of, uh, but I was a poor college student, so it was all good. So I worked for an accounting firm, uh, when I got out of college for about five, six years and, got really exposed to different businesses, whether it was tech or agriculture businesses or manufacturing and distribution companies. And so I got exposed to a lot of executives and founders and, um, you know, it was a great experience for, for someone who was young in their career and, 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 you know, the job was great and it got me some, uh, business acumen, got my business acumen up. But, uh, once I reached, you know, a, a, a certain point, um, I started to realize that like the amount of money that I was going to get for this job was not going to fulfill me. And so I just started like mentally preparing myself and financially preparing myself to, you know, make something more entrepreneurial. I had always been, I didn't feel like I was like a natural born entrepreneur where you hear those like 16 year olds who are figuring out how to hustle candy or whatever. Like I was definitely not that I was always a hard worker and, and down, you know, but I, but I really more admired and like, wondered how I admired people who were like very creative and had their own kind of, they're building their own thing. Um, you know, whether it was just like a, a painting or, or someone that was, you know, doing a business. Um, and my dad and his, his brothers had, had started a business when they were, um, you know, in their twenties. So I kind of always had that like, okay, there's something in me where, you know, maybe I can do that as well. Um, so like I said, the, the job in the accounting firm was great, but just, I felt like it wasn't going to be good enough. And so I started preparing for this. And then my, who now is my co-founder of Squadcast, Zach, um, he reached out to me one day and was, uh, talking about how he was trying to create a podcast, uh, with his friends and they ran into trouble creating it, uh, because their team was remote. And they said, you know, there's no real easy way to make a remote podcast. Uh, that sounds good. There's like this trade-off of like, either, uh, you have to accept the poor quality by using Zoom or Skype or, you know, you got to jump through all these hoops uh, to get the, the sound quality that he wanted, uh, but he, they just weren't having a lot of fun with it. And it wasn't really like reliable or, or just, you know, just not something that they felt was uh, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze at that point. So uh, Zach being a software developer um, in, in his career decided, well, maybe there's a way that we can build something for podcasting. And he approached me about that because, um, you know, we'd been friends since high school, but he had always kind of kicked around these ideas to get my input as far as like, uh, financial accounting, business advice, stuff like that. But this time he actually asked me to be, uh, his, his partner on it. Um, and I was like blown away because one, I was like, kind of waiting for this. Like little did I know he was kind of in the same headspace, like preparing to do his own thing too. 
Um, and then also it was like not hard to get excited about podcasting. Like I said earlier, I was already uh, a listener for many years. Zach even said I introduced him to podcasting. I think it was like Joe Rogan experience. I, I was like, dude, you know that guy from UFC? He has a podcast. Let's listen to this crap. Classic. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so um, so, you know, it wasn't hard to get excited about. It was more so like, okay, let's kick the tires and see like, is this something that uh, is this really a problem? Is this something that people will be willing to pay for? You know, and, and, you know, we got quickly started after that seeing that a lot of podcasters were doing all sorts of things. None of them seemed very happy. Um, so we saw that as our opportunity and started working on it. Like you said, it was, you know, about three and a half years ago and, you know, making some good traction now, um, especially with everybody working from home and wanting to stay on schedule with their, the production of their shows. So a lot of people need to record remotely. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we were grateful that we have the opportunity to help people. I wish it was definitely under different circumstances, but, um, you know, definitely grateful again to, to be in the position that we're in. Now, now for those of you that are listening that don't know what Squadcast is, Rock, why don't you uh, give a little bit of a synopsis of what the original intention and behind that platform was? Yeah. So basically Squadcast is a way that you and your guest or co-host can be in two different locations and record a podcast together using our software. Uh, and then it's going to sound to your audience like it happened in the same room. That was the real goal. Like a lot of the podcasts that are recorded remotely via Skype or Zoom, you can kind of hear it sometimes. Sometimes it sounds good, but it doesn't always sound good. And and it's not always reliable. And it really was never built with the intention of capturing that audio in that studio sound quality that is going to be listened to later. So that's what we wanted to do is like, we don't even want your audience to know if it was recorded in the same room or not, we don't even want them thinking about it. We just want them so uh, captivated by a great conversation. And although, you know, we're not going to deny that being in the same room does have its advantages. Um, that's not, you know, not everyone can be like Joe Rogan and fly people in, but if you're going to get a guest remotely, why not? And, and if it's going to still sound good, why not too? So that's what we're here for. Yeah. So some, some amazing practical applications just from the apex side of things, some, some features that I really want to shout out is first off, the audio files are all locally recorded on the each individual person's stream, right? So a lot of yeah. times, you know, we experience this lag or some type of disconnect and everything. But in post, all of those audio files were locally recorded via that person's system. So it's super, super nice because even though you might hear lag while you're recording, afterwards, you still have whatever that person was saying in full in full force, um, which mm-hmm. came in super handy when me and RJ just recently interviewed a gentleman in Belgium Um who was you he had to use his phone to tether in order to communicate and there's a couple of times that that lag broke through but when i went back through it's super easy to just check mark all of the different audio files you have one button that you can click mix them all squadcast automatically lines up the audio files and make sure that they're in the right places and voices aren't overlapping you can throw that into logic optimize it and you're on your way so that is something that has been absolutely invaluable as as the apex has continued trying to function um, during the COVID um, lockdowns and stuff. And it's been really helping our clients as well. Like I said, when recording meetings or doing any type of, you know, interaction that requires that professional level of quality has been, it's, it's, I, I have no idea what we would be doing if we didn't have squad gas in our uh, back pocket. So. Well, I'm very happy to hear that we were able to have your back. And that's the additional thing is like, we just, there was so much like worry and anxiety when having uh, a remote uh, interview or, or podcast. And so we just really 
want you to know that like Squadcast has your back. The technology, a lot, you know, and I really appreciate the way you explain some of the 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 benefits of Squadcast. And that's something that you know we're not really marketers by trade. None of us are on our team, so that's something that we've been just trying to get better at as we go. I know, <laughs> and um, you know, so a lot of these features are like invisible features. And so, how do we explain that? Like, you're not seeing it. You might not be able to touch it, but boy, you're going to love it. Or, you know, it's, it's more so what's not happening. Right. That is awesome. And too. the way that I explain this to people is it's like our operating system on our computers. Right. So people don't realize, I mean, people like my age and younger, so like 26, 25 and, and below, a lot of them don't yeah. realize that DOS was a thing at one point. Right. We didn't have a visual That's funny. user yeah. interface for a long time. It was hard code. Right. And so we have this beautiful visual user interface now whether it's apple ios it's you know mac it's catalina it's windows whatever it is we have these visual user user interfaces and but behind the scenes there's a lot of random crap that goes on that we don't Mm -hmm. think about until it breaks or stops working exactly and then we realize it's there so all of these invisible features in squadcast like i said the the audio files being locally recorded until something goes wrong like your podcast gets disconnected because of some type of weird internet thing and then you go back and realize oh this feature that i never really can tangibly see just saved me now i appreciate it (laughs) so exactly it may not be tangible but it's still extremely important yeah Um, so we have the the first five right so who all who were the people that were involved with this when we when we first launched that's correct. So, so Zach is our, our, uh, CEO and he's also our, our chief, chief technology officer too. He's pretty much built most of the app, uh, by himself. Um, the third member that we brought on is Alex, who's, uh, went to college with Zach. They both went to art school together. So he's our, our chief designer. He does, uh, help with some front end development. Um, uh, so that's, that's also been very, very helpful. Uh, and then we also have, um, Zach's brother, who's also my friend, um, uh, his name is Vince. So he is a audio engineer. And so it just made sense to bring someone like that on board. So he's, uh, in addition to, you know, the, the lead on our production of our podcast and a lot of our other content, um, he's the lead on our support and really ensures that the sound quality is up to, to the standards that, uh, you know, we want associated with our brand. And then, uh, and then like, yeah. And then he's the head of support too, which is, uh, something that we've, uh, we take very seriously. It's a huge differentiator from us and the rest of the competition is that, um, you know, you have a dedicated team who's, you know, pretty much willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that, uh, you know, your, your interview happens and that you get your audio files. Um, and so rounding out the number five is actually uh, Vince and Zach's dad. We call him Big Vince. Uh, he's our he's our data guy. So he has like a lot of experience in working for the state building uh, like databases. So like, um, you know, it seemed kind of like overkill to have uh, someone like that on the on a startup when we were just getting started. But, you know, some of the the way he's been able to uh capture and report on our data is really helpful right now. So um really stoked to to have, you know, we're just lucky that we were able to have this this, you know, it's it's close, to, it's pretty close to being a family business, right? right? Like I mean, Alex and I are not family, but we've been friends with them for a long time where, you know, we we know their family pretty well. And um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily always recommend working with family or friends. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you can you and your listeners can imagine the, the problems that could happen with, you know, depending on their friends and family. But I think for, for me, what, what it, 
why I had no hesitation about it was because I knew at minimum that I didn't have to worry about trust or loyalty. Like maybe, you know, there was a matter of, did we have the talent to do this? Did we have the, um, uh, the grit to do this? Like, um, those were maybe more unanswered questions, but at least I knew that I can trust these guys and that this, these are, these are people that, um, I want to work with for the next, you know, 10 years or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm looking at, uh, looking at pictures on your guys' website right now. Big Vince is definitely Vince Senior. <laughs> they they look very similar. He's definitely going to have yep. the gray mustache and glasses at some point in his life and fit right into the family. Oh boy, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you you started the company and and the original five kind of built everything out. Um, and now we're starting to not just build the company but actually expand features and stuff like yes. that. Right. So so. I know that we're coming up, we're in V2 right now, right? Mm-hmm. So version yep. two, um, we have the ability to do the remote interviews, that local audio recording, mixing the audio, storing the audio directly on Squadcast. You can download the files all directly from there using little checkbox features. I mean, there's, I could go on and on and on about all the things that make it convenient. But um, what do you see really coming in um, version three? Yeah, so I think... Uh, Version three is going to include our, our most requested feature. So, you know, as you can see now and, and for, for your listeners, um, Squadcast has a video component similar to Skype or Zoom that we felt was really helpful for building rapport and just added to the conversation that would hopefully end up in the recording that you're listening to. But that video is not being recorded yet. So uh, naturally, a lot of people were like, well, why can't we record the video? And it's like, well, our original hypothesis was that we're just going to serve podcasters. They're, they really only care about the audio. But yeah. what we learned is that, um, you know, people, podcasters are just more so see themselves as content creators. So, um, the more opportunities that can be everywhere, whether it's Instagram live, YouTube, uh, email, social, like any way that we can empower that workflow for creatives that want to create content and high quality. Uh, we want to be that, that, uh, platform for them. So that will be V3. Um, before that is going to be somewhat of a mini update that, um, we just, we just had the, you know, being in San Francisco, we, um, we had the opportunity to go to this event uh, that Dolby was hosting and saw that um, they are offering a, some technology that we can use to help add to the conversation in the, the, in the video chat. So uh, it's just going to make it feel more closer to reality is the way that we called it. Like right now there's, there's, you know, the conversation is, is pretty real time, but there's definitely going to be some enhancements with, with the Dolby offering as far as like just making it feel, uh, even more real with some spatialized audio. So it'll just sound different. Um, and we're really excited about that. Yeah. Additionally, their technology is going to allow us to do a lot of other things like screen share. Uh, we can do like a audience or listener experience. So like maybe we can have chase the apex listeners, like actually, sit in on this live session with us now and and they wouldn't end up on the video but they can at least listen and probably interact with us so that's coming we have a lot of companies that want like a a producer to sit in but they don't want to be on video and they don't want their audio recorded but they're there to kind of like coach so that's another use case that we could use that for Mm -hmm. so you know really excited that um, you know, Dolby has this technology that we can use to help uh, leverage the Dolby sound and, and add it to podcasting. You know, this is kind of their first effort uh, into podcasting. So we're really excited to to help bring that to to podcasters. And like, we just felt like 
you know, Dolby's brand is, is it means quality, uh, whether it's video or audio. And that's exactly the kind of brand that we're building up within podcasting for Squadcast. So it felt like it was a real uh, great opportunity with uh, brand alignment and, uh, you know, super grateful that the Dolby team's been actually, um, you know, way more excited and interested than uh, I gave them credit for thinking. You know, I'm thinking this is this big company. Maybe they care about podcasting, maybe they don't, but they really seem like they do. So we're, we're couldn't be more stoked. So so what you're telling me is that the first major thing that happened in podcasting was uh, Spotify buying Anchor.fm and Gimlet. And the next big thing is Dolby partnering with Squadcast. <laughs> I mean, that's... In our world, certainly. <laughs> oh, no, because I'm like, I'm reading over, like you said, the spatialized audio, enhanced audio mastering. I mean, being able to have a Dolby EQ, it, it would be exactly. phenomenal. Studio audience and listener experience, potential live streaming tools, offering audience engagement, screen sharing. I mean, these are all things that if if all of those were to be able to be compiled onto one platform, I would never use anything else. Like, that's all I need. I'm happy that's, to hear that, that's sir. all I need in order to be completely functional because I'll tell, I'll tell you why. So, so apex, right. A lot of people think that, that we're pod like just a podcast. Right. But on the back end of that, what we really are is content multipliers, right? We mm -hmm. take what we tell people is we can take one piece of content and multiply that by five to 10 times. Right. There everybody has, because everybody listens to Pat Flynn, which we'll, we're about to get to. Everybody listens to Pat. Everybody listens to Gary V. They listen to these people that preach content production, content production, but then they're like, yeah. I have a marketing team of two people. How, how do I keep up with that content production? So the system that we came up with was essentially your marketing team focuses on your mission, your vision. They record video mm -hmm. on site. They do this organic stuff. They dump it into a content bank. We reach in there. Apex pulls that content out and we repurpose it and tailor it to all these different platforms. Redeposit it back into a content bank for that marketing team to use. So it cuts out all of that middle time. So they can focus strictly on helping that company build its brand. They don't have to worry about force multiplying all their content or, you know, we just drop it into this. This is a LinkedIn folder. This is a Facebook folder. This is an Instagram folder. So they don't even have to worry about it. They just go in, they can find the content they need to post and they post it. So it eliminates a lot of that backend editing piece, but then we're not directly involved in their social media marketing. We just multiply their content. Um, so having an application like this that would allow us to say, hey, we can plug you into this system. It'll allow you to live stream, record a podcast episode, do this, do that. It, it makes our lives way easier because right now I'm using four different pieces of software to get that done. Right. So that's, that is why I'm so excited about what, what all of those features are. And I'm trying, you know, hammering down. If you're a podcaster, you need to get on this train now and start getting used to the software so that when those features all come out, you're not just trying to figure it out on the fly. Exactly. And that's why we're not calling it V3 necessarily, because it's kind of just adding to the current experience already. We just couldn't pass up on the opportunity to uh, bring Dolby to, to podcasters. Uh, so exactly. And I'm excited to hear that that uh, you find it very useful, because that's exactly what why we're so excited about yeah. it. Yeah. So so you, bringing Dolby on is, is an amazing thing, and that's going to be a huge partnership. But even before bringing Dolby on, you've had these amazing mentors kind of guiding you through this process, um, you yeah. know, and there's there's a bunch of them listed on the website. If you want to see all of the different mentors that are that are attached to a Squadcast, go to squadcast.fm backslash about and you'll be able to see um, all of the different people in their bios. But the two that I really kind of want to hit on are um, Jordan Harbinger and Pat Flynn. 
How did how did those relationships come about, and um, what are some of the bigger things that they brought to the table? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, when we first got into this game, we didn't really know what advisors were, what an advisory board was. I, I certainly was familiar with like a board of directors from my accounting background and stuff, but um, you know, it was just an unfamiliar topic. But um, you know, the way that we started the company was we. Um, you know, we thought we were going to raise money and, and, you know, talk to venture capitalists and put together an investment round. And, you know, that's how we would fund the company and stuff like that. And really that's because we thought that's how you were supposed to do it in the tech world. And certainly being out here in the Bay area, that's kind of what most people do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But again, it's kind of like college, like it, it being the one size fits, fits all. Uh, it, I mean, I think companies raising VC capital is, is, not a one size all even more, more so than the college example. So, you know, it just didn't feel right to us that we would, you know, we were still learning and still trying to figure out how to build this product, build a company that like, how could we go to these, you know, you know, super rich people and tell them like, we know something you don't and you need to give us a bunch of money for that. And like, it just, you know, we had so much to learn. Um, so, you know, we funded it ourselves, but the way that we got access to that type of information was through our advisors. Mm. So our, so our first advisor was uh, Harry Duran. He's our founding advisor and he's the host of Podcast Junkies. And he was kind of like our avatar and really helped us build uh, the product that the indie podcaster needed that just wasn't existing uh, there yet. And then um, shortly after, I think, well, maybe a year after, uh, we started getting on Jordan Harbinger's radar. I forget exactly how we got on his radar, but essentially the way the relationship developed was he cold emailed uh, Zach was like, hey, I love what you guys are doing. I want to see how I can help. And, you know, I mean, we were definitely fans of of his show and, and familiar with his work, um, especially because like, I, I don't know how much your audience knows, but like Jordan Harbinger has a pretty popular show, the Jordan Harbinger show now, but he started the Art of Charm podcast um, and had kind of a fallout there and basically left that podcast and left everything that he had built up there and started off completely new with the Jordan Harbinger show. And, I really liked that story. Something about somebody who was willing to do, to start over and, you know, just like leave everything behind be just because it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't sitting right with him. He wanted to take the art of charm podcast from, you know, what it was as like, you know, helping relationships, helping guys, you know, hook up it essentially. I'm sure there's a better way to phrase it, but that's all that's coming to my mind. He was like, look, I'm evolving. I'm, a, I'm, I'm married now. I'm a middle-aged man. I'm going to start having kids. Like we can't be talking about the same stuff Yeah. and they didn't want to change it. So Jordan's like, I gotta, I gotta change. And so I really, that, that's really some, so that says a lot about somebody to us. And so, you know, we certainly had some conversations with him. I think what was really cool about Jordan is he said that he had talked to uh, similar companies, like even like Zoom, uh, trying to be the voice for for the podcasters because he he believed that podcasting needs this, um, and uh, no one listened. He said, and one of the first things we said is like, I can guarantee you that we will ask for your advice, we will listen to you, um, and you know it's it's going to be on you to tell us when to stop. <laughs> so that's been our big thing, man. It's just using our leaning our on our advisors to like give us insight, give us that that. Uh, you know, help us develop as uh, entrepreneurs and help us really keep in mind, you know, the, the customer that we're trying to um, serve here, which are, which are podcasters. And, you know, I'm definitely can go into Pat Flynn and he came up 
well, maybe a year later, him and Jordan are friends. So I'm sure that's where it started. But again, the opportunity to work with somebody like Pat, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for and, and really admire. And, you know, I, I, he, you know, is a family man, that stuff is really important to me. So, you know, to, to be, to work with people like that, it, it just, it's a tough opportunity uh, to pass on. And, you know, the fact that our company's equity is pretty much all ours, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fine to distribute uh, a few pieces here and there to, to these advisors. Cause the uh, impact it's had on our company has been tremendous and, and invaluable to be honest. I mean, the five of us core founding team members have, you know, certainly put a lot into this company, but uh, you know, the advisors have been um, just as impactful. Oh yeah. I mean, the, um, the good mentorship is completely irreplaceable. Um, I, I just, yeah. am, um, talking to one of my, my advisors today later on in the evening and he was the, um, he's like a, a VP of, of sales and SaaS um, implementation for IBM, you know, on the East, on, on cool. the East coast. And he's, he's brought a lot of companies to acquisition. He's exited, like helped companies exit a lot of different things. And he's just, um, he, he's like a, a, a if Einstein were a squirrel, like if Einstein had squirrel energy, that would be this guy. I mean, he's just like, oh, nice. way, I mean, super intellectual. And RJ knows exactly who I'm talking about with this, but oh, yeah. he's, he's super intellectual. But I mean, just like he can't even sit still when he's talking. I mean, he's sitting at the table in meetings, just bouncing up and down while he's writing. Um, and that type of energy that sounds fun. Just infused <laughs> in every room that he goes into, it just kind of infuses. But he's so smart and he he makes these different moves that like, as entrepreneurs, you know, this is our baby. This is something that mm -hmm. we've brought mm -hmm. bottom. We bootstrapped it. You know, me and my co-founder Jacob drove 23 and a half hours one day to pick up furniture for our studio because we wanted to have this experience. Like you said, you know, it's all about providing that full immersive experience for somebody. And so we yes. built an entire studio that's themed like a 1920s lounge because we believe, you know, the first era of audio was 1926. KDKA Radio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. streamed their first broadcast. To the 2020s, you know, usher in the era of podcasting as the new wave of audio. And so we wanted to go back and stay true to that class, you know, that original, what that would have felt like. Um, and that's, we spent so much time building that out, but we would have never really came to that if it hadn't been for our mentors saying, you know, you have to create an experience for the listener because I'll be honest, I'm a functional guy. So like I was just, you know, mount a, a microphone to a table and give me a computer and I'm good to go. But <laughs> they, they really kind of shaped us thinking about marketing and thinking about what that means and what does that brand stand for? You know, is it premium? Are you, are you exuding customer service? You know, what are those things that if people were to think Apex Communications Network what do they think of? What are those words that come to mind? And, and sometimes mm -hmm. just asking those questions really force you to sit back and be like, oh, how am I presenting this? You know, what, what does that feel like? Uh, and, it, and it's all amazing things. So I, like being able to work with Pat and Jordan um, and the rest of your advisory team, every single one of the people on here is just absolute ballers. Um, in the, <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, it's beautiful to see something that is as good of an idea as Squadcast is actually executing on functionality, tactics, and everything else. Because there's a couple of other things that are floating around, and I won't name any names, but they're very like academically sound. They make the idea mm. makes sense, 
but the execution is horrible or the customer service is horrible, you know, or they're missing some of these integral pieces where I'm like, yes, this might be a very good idea, but if you can't act like execute it correctly, it's, it's never going to come to fruition. So you guys are kind of, you know, you're on the right path as far as being the best of both worlds, offering both the technological piece and the value, and then also the execution piece. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. That means a lot. I mean, we're definitely proud of, uh, what we have now and where we've come from, but still in many ways feel like we're, we're just getting started. And, you know, you're, you're right, man. Like, I don't think we would have had a chance had, uh, some of those, those, uh, options you're talking about had more of that, um, you know, execution mindset or just, you know, maybe took it a little bit more seriously. I don't know what the answer is, but you know, it's very possible that we didn't have a shot, but because, you know, that's why we did though, is because we, we, I think like when people ask us that question, like, I just want to tell them, try us both out. You'll see who cares more, right? <laughs> you know, right. or try everybody. Like we care more. Like it's just, it's everywhere. Like it's not perfect. There's still plenty of things that can be better. Um, but when you try the two out, I'm very confident that you'll see who cares yeah. more. And you know, not everybody wants to hear that. They want to hear specifics, you know, so I don't use that as a, uh, a go-to like in all the conversations I have with, with customers, but it's that's really what it comes down to. We just care yeah, more. Yeah, and and that's the a huge mistake that people make with people. And so this is this is going to be me giving advice as a nurse to the people that are trying to communicate in the business world because I think that that's what's really mm-hmm. helped make us successful as Apex. You know, I'm my self proclaimed title is director of relations, um, and I'm they so fondly call me the spiel guy. Um, <laughs> anytime <laughs> anybody asks us what do you do, they all just kind of look at me and they're like, "All right, give your spiel." The spiel. Um, Get it. That's Zach. Yeah. And, uh, God bless you and guys. We, and, we, and I kind of say, I'm like, listen, podcasting, mass media, your digital footprint, all of that is, I'm going to kind of go a little Gary Vee here. It's about empathy, right? But I, I look at it from a, a different perspective as far as being a nurse. My entire career from freshman year of nursing school to now I've been an ICU nurse almost two and a half years. You know, it's, it's all been training in psychology, empathy, trying to talk to people, meeting them where they're at. You know, I have to be able to walk into a room to somebody that just had a 10 inch incision through their sternum. They have four tubes sticking out of their chest because they just had open heart surgery, you know, and I have to try to figure out how do I empathize with this person that's in a position that I have never been in that is experiencing all of this pain and say the right things in the right order to get them to calm down and to trust me because that's the biggest thing you know you're dealing with them in their most vulnerable state that they've ever existed in and so you're talking to them and you're saying you know i'm providing you medication i'm trying to take care of your pain i have to do things that are going to hurt but i promise in the long term this is going to help you like getting them up and walking down the hallway with tubes sticking out of their ribs you know, there's those different types of things. And what I tell people in the business world is that if you can put yourself in a perspective where you're strictly trying to understand where your end user is coming from, that's going to make your style of communication exponentially more successful. Because if you try to focus on what you want to say and not what they need to hear, you're going to fail every time. Because you're going to force your opinion, you're going to be, you're going to talk about the what, and you're going to talk about the how. You're not going to talk about the why. 
you know, and now we're diving into Simon Sinek and starting with why and all this other kind of stuff. But if you start with it's exactly where you ended up, we care more. This is why you should be with us because we care more. We have, you know, these offerings, these services, we can do this. We're going to take care of you. The other people are probably talking about these are the specific things that we can do that they can't, you know, here's the list of features that we have that they don't, but that doesn't form a human bond. Exactly. This does. And I'm, you know, holding up my hand, like people can see me. You won't be able to until the uh, next version comes out, but, um, Summer 2020. Yeah. Hashtag summer 2020. <laughs> but that, that, that why is what really brings that, that human element to it. And that's what we're all about. Is That's why our tagline at Apex is empathetic mass communication. Because if you can learn how to... Les Brown you know, always said, don't let what you want to say get in the way of what they need to hear. If, if you can figure what that landscape looks like, you'll be successful almost every time. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the best advice I got was back when I was working at the accounting firm and I was just like super stressed out and like just, you know, huffing and puffing. And and one of the managers I was working with, he's like, Rock, what's what's going on, man? And I'm like, I'm just frustrated, man. I got this going on. I got this going on. I'm waiting on this. And and then he's like, Rock, it's just people, dude. Like, just chill. Like, it's just people. And for whatever reason, like, that's just always stuck with me is that like, it's just people. Just talk to them just smile, just be cool. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's fine. You know? And I, and I learned that working in waiting tables too. Like there's plenty of times where people's food gets messed up and whether it's my fault or not, I'm the person that's there that they can take it out on. And so they did. And, and, you know, it's just, it, but, but because I was actually able to be, see them, you know, like we're in this remote world, which we're all about, but it still adds complexity on how to build those connections and, and um, nurture those relationships. And so I think what you guys are doing is, super valuable because we got to, we're going to have to get better at that. And, you know, putting situations like, you know, what we're having to deal with, with this COVID-19 stuff is like, you know, proving that even more that we have to get, you know, adapt and find better ways to to communicate. So that's, mm-hmm. that's really great work that you guys are doing. Cause it didn't come natural to us. It's definitely something that, uh, I feel like, you know, we've bumbled and stumbled our way into it's, it's amazing how easy it is to want to just talk to people about features. And they're just like, I don't even know what you're talking about yeah. when all you got to do is, talk to them on an emotional level, which doesn't sound like it's talking about Squadcast, but that's what they want to hear. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's been fascinating. Yeah, I 110% agree. Well, you know, we're going to kind of lead this into our wrap up here. If there's uh, any final thoughts there, RJ, that you have that now would be the time to uh, say hello. It was just, a, it's a very enlightening conversation, especially with the current time in everybody's lives and with this all going, going on and the capabilities that, Companies can come together and try to put out these types of products and services and software to make things easier for people. There, I think with emails and text messages and a lot of that stuff, a lot of the emotional aspect of stuff has been lost between individuals or companies or bosses to people below them. I am a very motivated worker when... I know what it means to the person above me. Mm. Now, if that emotional relationship isn't there and it's just 10 emails that I get on a daily basis, uh, do this, uh, do that. And I have no heart behind it. Why I'm doing this, why we're doing this, why it needs to be done. It becomes very difficult for me to function or at least function Mm. to the best of my own ability. And so Mm -hmm. 
opening up these avenues for people to communicate and communicate in a way that gets points across that will never happen through an email or a letter or a text or something like that is very important to me because I am, I know I'm not the only person that feels like that. So I'm grateful for that. I'm kind of, kind of sucks to, you know, all these people that, what was the joke on Facebook and whatnot, where it's like, yeah, all these people realizing that their, their jobs can be done remotely and they haven't had to go into work for the last 30 years. But (laughs) you got to be kind of thankful that now all these people are stepping up and systems are being put in place. And maybe, you know, that dad gets to see his kid more now. Because he doesn't have to go away for three weeks at a time or a mother can be home more often with her children or with her family or is able to go and do things in her personal life that she wouldn't be able to because of her job that dictate, dictates her money that then dictates where she can live and all everything else that she can do. So it's mm-hmm. just it's I think it's going to be the more that this t- stuff takes off and depending on how much of these systems stay in place as we move out of this pandemic, I think uh, a lot of that work relationship camaraderie effectiveness of communication can can skyrocket and I I'd love to be on the forefront of that 110%. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you that are listening right now and are curious about uh, what exactly Squadcast can do for you, go ahead and take a look in the description and there will be a link that you can click on that will take you directly over to the Squadcast website. Um, And you can learn a little bit more about what they do. Uh, If you have any questions about the services or anything like that, obviously the first best place to go to would be Squadcast directly. However, comma, I consider myself relatively versed in what they are able to do. So if you have any questions, you can also hit me up. All right, guys. So again, this has been a beautiful interview with Mr. Rockwell Felder, the CFO of Squadcast. And until next time, keep chasing that apex.